0: This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today in episode 13, we get to hear the fascinating story of bringing fall sown peas to eastern Washington state. Howard Nelson, who led the charge in a lot of ways, is on the show to talk about this experience. After Howard, you'll hear from a farmer, Mark Sheffels, who worked with Howard to start incorporating these peas into his rotation. If you're new to Pulse Crops, they include crops such as field peas, chickpeas and lentils. The show follows some Pulse Crop farmers through the growing season and dives into the research that's helping them through some of the challenges they face. We'll also talk to a number of other industry stakeholders along the way. We begin today's episode with Howard Nelson. Howard is a recently retired agronomist at Highline Grain Growers in eastern Washington. One of his projects during his 21 years with the company was to help find another crop that would fit into the wheat rotation in the area. That led him to today's story, which is bringing fall-sown peas to eastern Washington. Oh, and just one more thing I should tell you before we get started is that this interview was recorded back in March before Howard retired.
1: We're a a low rainfall area, anywhere from 8 to uh, 13-inch rainfall. So the predominant cropping system was wheat followed by fallow, followed by wheat, followed by fallow, and on and on and on. And so uh, this would have been 1999 when I was hired. The board of directors for the company then was Central Washington Grain Growers. They thought, well, hey, let's let's see if we can find something different to grow. Uh, you know, wheat at the time was about two dollars a bushel, and so I, I started a program with uh, small plots, uh, looking at various crops. I've looked at over uh, 21 different crops uh, with both fall and spring sown types of some of those. And early on, the, uh, the fall-planted peas uh, looked very well adapted to our area. The first problem we ran into was winter hardiness. And so it took a while to get a pea that would survive the winters here. And, you know, even though we do have winter hardy varieties, we're still not quite approaching the hardiness uh, of a winter wheat variety. But uh, we've made some pretty vast improvements in the past five years.
0: Now, Howard was trying a lot of different crops at this time, many of which didn't work out for one reason or another. But I asked him what kept him committed to the idea that false-sown peas could work despite these early winter hardiness issues.
1: Well, that's my, my personality is, uh, you know, if you fail, you keep trying. And I worked pretty closely with a private company and also with USDA ARS. You know, they assured me they had better material. You know, it's always like, next year I've got something better. It, so it took a while. But uh, as you know, with breeding programs, nothing comes quickly. It wasn't until we found the variety Blaze that I felt pretty comfortable that we really had something that would survive our winters. And the way we found that variety was in uh, 2014, we had a major cold event. Every acre of pea uh, that we had planted died. But we had four varieties in our testing program that survived. And so that's kind of the uh, lining of the cloud, you know, that, uh, that we had some hope, even though we lost the whole crop that year.
0: But Howard and the group of researchers persisted and ultimately improved the winter hardiness of
1: the crop. So we know our wheat varieties are probably pretty hardy down to about minus 10 Fahrenheit, We've had cold events on the peas where we have data loggers in the field, so we know how cold it got in the field. And so we know that about minus 5 Fahrenheit now is where we start to lose the winter hardiness in our peas. So we've gone from about plus 5 Fahrenheit in the early days down to minus 5 now with our current varieties.
0: With the varieties improving and the peas performing better in trials, the next step for Howard was to get some of his farmers to give this a try. Luckily, he'd already built up a lot of trust and credibility with his customers who were looking for something to include in this wheat rotation to help with problems such as pests and diseases.
1: So we get our nitrogen benefits from the pea. In addition, we can use a whole different chemistry of herbicides to control weeds. You know Our major Grassy weeds and winter weed are jointed goat grass, downy brome grass, and a lot of these weeds are developing resistance to a lot of the common herbicides that are used. So, so this allows us to use some of the group one chemistries on legumes that you can't use at the current time on winter weed.
0: Now it's important to emphasize here that there was no model for this. Howard and the farmers he was working with were the first in the U.S. to give this a try, which has got to be especially nerve-wracking given it's a winter crop. I asked Howard if they had any sort of an out if the peas didn't make it to the spring for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, we have had that happen. Uh, We are fortunate that we have uh, crop insurance with a winter replant option in the area. So the the growers take the winter replant option when they plant their peas. If they don't survive, they get a, a payment you know, depending on what their proven yield is, then they're they're able to, to plant uh, spring wheat because we just can't grow spring peas in this area because of the low precipitation that we have.
0: Now, a couple of quick clarifications here. These are mostly yellow peas we're talking about. There are some green pea varieties also in development, but they're just not quite as far along as these yellow peas. Also, it's important to note that all of this is happening in a specific region of eastern Washington. So if you're listening, make sure you consult someone locally before trying any of this at home, as they say. Now, that said, I asked Howard to walk us through how all of this is fitting into farmers' rotations in the area.
1: Yeah, so uh, we start planting in August, the 20th of August. We start some planting. uh, We plant through probably about the 20th of September. And we plant into fallow. So it's a replacement for winter wheat for those growers. We plant them pretty deep. I mean, you'd be surprised we plant them five to six inches deep because that's where the moisture's at. Doggone it, these peas will push all the way up uh, and emerge. Sometimes it takes two to three weeks for them to come up. But then they form kind of a rosette and they grow pretty prostrate in the soil in the fall.
0: If you've been following along with this podcast, you know we've talked a lot about all of the various pests and diseases that go after pulse crops. In this case, though, they're grown in the winter, so their issues aren't quite all the same.
1: Yeah, we have different issues because we're looking at winter annual weeds versus uh, spring germination weeds. So our, our major weeds are the, the mustard weeds, as far as broadleafs go, and then, of course, our grassy weeds joined to goat grass, uh, downy brome grass. Because we've struggled with winter hardiness, we don't put any herbicides on in the fall post-plant pre-emergent at all, because who wants to spend money on a crop and then have it die? So pretty much we do all of our weed control post-emergent in the spring. And so we're pretty limited on what works because it's, it's cold. You know, we're looking at starting to spray probably next week on our fields for our broadleaf weed control. And so the daytime temperatures are in the 50s. And so uh, some of the herbicides like bentazon, uh, Abasagran, it just doesn't work at these cold temperatures. So we're currently using uh, amazamox, which is raptor or, uh, or vulture, and then uh, in combination with either clethodem or, or SIR2 for our grassy weed control. But everything is earlier with the fall planted pea. We'll start blooming the 1st of May and we'll bloom for 5 to 6 weeks depending on the weather. So then about, uh, you know, the 10th of June or so is is when the crop starts to mature and dry down so that we can harvest by the 1st of July.
0: Even though the initial motivation for these false sown peas was to help the wheat rotation, they're still able to produce some pretty impressive yields.
1: So this is dry land. And so, you know, through the years, I've kind of kept track of the high yields. Uh, it's kind of a fun thing to do, but... We had one grower uh, two years ago hit 6,876 pounds per acre on a dry land production. It was fun. Uh, He called me as he was cutting this crop and he he said, you know, I've already hit, you know, X pounds per acre and I still have a lot of the field to cut. And uh, it was one of those great phone calls to get.
0: So the yield is there, but what about the quality? These peas may look a little different, Howard says, but that's becoming less important based on where the industry is headed.
1: On a visual basis, these peas look a little different. Uh, there's a little bit of green retention on the seed coat, even though it has a yellow cotyledon. So it, it grades a number two because it has what they consider a, a fair color. But the whole thing around food quality in a pea is evolving Because we're starting to grind peas into flour and extract the protein and different characteristics of the starch. So, you know, we kind of have these things, what we call food quality peas. But what does that mean in today's world of using peas as an ingredient? So our goal is to find a pea with high protein because that's kind of where the industry is is headed, is to fractionate the protein out of the pea and, and utilize that as an ingredient.
0: Even with the great yields and great quality, peas still have to complement the wheat rotation in this area. According to Howard, they've seen some really positive results.
1: We have had some fields that uh, were split. So we had peas in part and then winter wheat on the other side. And then it went to fallow and then it came back to wheat. And so we actually did document the differences in yield. And the one year we had a 17 bushel increase in winter wheat following pea versus wheat following wheat, uh, which is almost a 30% increase with no additional cost. I mean, it didn't cost this grower anything. He didn't put any additional inputs, didn't do any different farming practices. So that's a huge benefit. You know, I joke with some of these uh, winter wheat breeders, you know, they they spend all this money and time and effort to get a two or three bushel yield increase. And uh, I can get 17 bushels just by rotating with peas.
0: Now, I would think the nitrogen fixing properties of pulses would have something to do with this difference, but Howard says there's more to it than that.
1: Well, there's a lot of different interacting factors. Part of it is uh, the mineralization of nitrogen following peas. So we're getting uh, high levels of mineralization. We get the nitrogen. But in addition to the, the nitrogen, when you, when you decompose organic matter, you get all the micronutrients and you get the phosphorus and the sulfur and everything that goes along with that. So it has to do with more available nutrients to the wheat plant. A lot of the wheat diseases that we have, the inoculum levels decrease. So we have less root diseases in the wheat. And so the wheat responds. It's like, uh, if, you know, if, if you have a child... Uh, that has tonsils, you know, bad tonsils. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's sick and kind of not, you know, thriving. Well, the minute you take those tonsils out, your child all of a sudden he puts on a big growth spurt, takes off. Well, it's kind of the same with the wheat. You eliminate a lot of the, the little things that the plant is struggling to control or struggling against, and then the wheat uh, thrives once those inoculum levels go down.
0: Now, staying on this theme of the benefits of incorporating false-sown peas into a rotation, we're going to shift our conversation over to Mark Sheffels. Mark is a farmer in the same region of eastern Washington, and he's worked with Howard. He starts by sharing how he got started growing peas.
2: Well, uh, we dabbled in them for 15, 20 years on small acreage, but uh, I always uh, speculated it'd be pretty advantageous to move to a regular four-year rotation going with wheat fallow, peas fallow, and given the fact that I'm closing in on, was at the time, 60 years old, I'm 64 now, I realized I better quit talking about it and do it or uh, with a four-year rotation, I won't get through more than once or twice before I'm retired. So, so we jumped in uh, with both feet after dabbling for 10 years or so under the uh, leadership of Howard Nelson with Central Washington Grain, which has now changed names to Highland. But he did an excellent job of bringing this program to fruition. And uh, so we have full production from 50 to 100 acres up to a couple thousand acres per year. And Mm -hmm. we've been doing that now for, uh, we're probably into it roughly eight years now.
0: Mark clarifies that these fall sown peas they're growing in eastern Washington are actually not the same as the Austrian winter pea that some of you may be familiar with.
2: Yeah, it is not a Austrian winter pea. It's uh, something that uh, didn't exist probably 20 years ago, but our local uh, land-grant university, Washington State University, started dabbling in these things long ago, and Howard Nelson was a connection between our local area and WSU to uh, do a lot of testing and research and see if this was a viable crop.
0: You heard Mark mention that he dabbled with growing peas for several years. I asked him what finally convinced him to go all in with these false-owned peas.
2: After dabbling in small acres for years and years, I saw very few problems, and we also saw great advances in the cultivars available to us. We're on our third variety now, and they've made improvements both in production and in uh, winter hardiness. That's always a concern in this cold region. That and... uh, Just the fact that time was running out to make this major change, and uh, so that kind of inspired me too to quit dabbling and jump up to full scale.
0: As you'll hear, Mark is pretty progressive when it comes to prioritizing his soil health. I asked if he'd tried any other pulses in his rotation in the past
2: not really we uh, are direct seeders no-till farmers which by the way is critically important if you're combining fallow periods and a pulse crop because pulse crops are not near as good as cereal crops at leaving residue and protecting soil so we're really counting on a all-seeded cereal crop to leave a great amount of residue which we can protect with very, very minimal disturbance so that uh, we can carry over to the next cereal crop without any land degradation.
0: Mark says agronomically, things have gone really well with embracing fall sown peas into his rotation. Economically, though, he says it's had its ups and downs.
2: Well, right now, price is a huge concern. Pea prices uh, due to markets, mostly India, putting some tremendous import tariffs on peas about four years ago have uh, been devastating. So we had uh, at a time sold peas as cover crop for as much as 20 cents a pound. And then uh, a good market would be 12, 13 cents a pound. And currently it's about 8 cents a pound. Even though wheat prices are poor, pea prices are probably even less advantageous. So you have to give peas uh, quite a bit of credit for growing more wheat to justify it now at this point. But uh, that's a short-term problem. Agronomically, we're far better off with uh, peas, so hopefully we can get the financial side of that back in line.
0: Price volatility aside, Mark says there's no denying the differences has had on his wheat, especially when it comes to nitrogen.
2: Well, everybody knows a legume will actually fix nitrogen, so we're not putting bulk nitrogen down. When we plant peas, we simply put in a little bit of starter fertilizer. And then we expect them to leave anywhere from 40, 50 pounds of available nitrogen for the next wheat crop. So we uh, have tapered back. So at times, in our wetter locations, see, we're actually up by Davenport, Washington, too. So Wilbur's a 12-inch rainfall. Davenport's about a 15-inch rainfall. And up at Davenport at times, uh, when costs weren't as high, we did some annual production. Well, if you're annual producing with a wheat crop and uh, growing protein wheats, which require in that area anywhere from minimum of 80 up to 120, even 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre, and all of a sudden you go to fallowing, there's two fallow periods in a four-year period, you don't fertilize at all. And then there's the third year with pea production, which is simply starter fertilizer, and then less fertilizer in the fourth year. So you're actually reducing nitrogen use with such a rotation of peas, fallow, wheat, fallow, versus annual
0: cropping, high-protein grains, you'll reduce nitrogen use by 80%. Now, with so little moisture in this part of the world, I asked Mark what happens if he doesn't get a rain soon after planting these fall-sown peas to get them to germinate before winter?
2: That's an excellent question. Really, uh, that's right in the wheelhouse of peas because peas are an incredible crop as far as emergence goes. So if we fallow and it's very dry, we could end up looking at moisture that's six inches deep which makes it very difficult to seed a wheat crop, especially with the type of direct seed drill we run. It doesn't have a lot of precision in exactly what depth you plant. But with peas, you can plant them six, even eight inches deep, and uh, that's what it takes to get the moisture in that fallow, and they will come up absolutely perfectly. So a pea's uh, ability to emerge is uh, at least
0: double what wheat is. You probably remember Howard earlier saying they had some problems with winter kill early on as they were developing their varieties. For Mark, though, this really hasn't been a problem on his operation.
2: Not really. Uh, We have had some cold damage to peas, but it's generally not in the middle of the winter. That happens more if we get froze hard after we resume growth during the spring. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not only a pea problem. We've had some draws uh, in wheat crops that uh, went from our best production to our worst production. (laughs) In fact, Mm -hmm. to zero by being froze late in the year when they're in the reproductive stage. So peas can be hurt earlier. They don't have to be in the reproductive stage in the spring if they resume growth from fall dormancy and then they get froze. It can set them back uh, worse than wheat but they can also recover and do quite well. It depends on how hard and uh, exactly when they were froze, but a little bit more of a concern with peas, but not a lot.
0: Mark's tried both the yellow and the green peas, but for the markets he's looking at, the yellow peas have definitely been the way to go.
2: The green peas, originally the varieties we had were smaller and uh, well-suited for cover crop, but not so much uh, for other food channels and so now the new varieties are larger peas and compete better with uh, spring weeds for food markets and that's our ultimate game is to uh hope that buyers are just as interested in a winter pea as a spring pea for uh food i don't know if we're there yet they're still smaller than a spring pea although they're bigger than the winter peas we
0: previously had all in all, for Mark, though, he's never regretted going all-in with including false sown peas into his rotation.
2: Well, no. Other than the price, I really haven't. I feel quite good about the decision in the rotation. So it's kind of been the holy grail of things in this region. We've always known how limited we were only growing cereal grains to deal with weed problems. And you're really swimming upstream. We have some great products now to combat and goat grass problems and crops. Constant cereal grain crops, but nevertheless, it's nice if you can do that in a more natural way without having to use other products. And now with the peas and the change in rotation, it just opens up a lot of opportunities to run much cleaner rotations. And biologically, uh, I think that's kind of a new phase that agriculture is moving into to see just what we can get done with pure biology cover crops, uh, more diverse microbial activity in the rhizosphere, the top inch or two of soil, so we can do things to make our soils healthier, more productive, and uh, put them in a position to sequester more the nitrogen out of the atmosphere themselves. That's hmm. the next phase. I find it uh, rather humorous that I'm closing down retirement, and I'm not afraid to get old, but uh, the next 20 years is going to be pretty exciting. I'll be watching
0: that from the sidelines. Well, thank you very much to both Howard Nelson and Mark Sheffels for taking the time to be part of the Growing Pulse Crops podcast. We still have a couple more episodes to round out this season of the show. If you're appreciating this podcast, let us know by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or by sharing it on social media. You can also find all of the episodes at www.growingpulsecrops.com. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the North Central IPM Center. We're releasing two of these every month throughout the growing season, so we look forward to bringing you another episode very soon.